0: It's Friday, October 14th, 2016. This is In Sequence One, a podcast about galactic civil wars, euros, and comic books. I'm Peter
1: Swift, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Corey Bullock. Hey, everybody. I feel like this is a really good week to start a podcast about comics, because it's been just incredibly newsworthy. Like, with New York Comic Con just happening, and just lots of stuff. Like, all those panels
0: and reveals and new books. Yeah, and this has actually been a bit of a shift for New York Comic Con, because in the past it was seen uh Because it's kind of an off-season con, you know, San Diego's already happened, and so um, this is one of the first years where really they've been pushing news to the con. Because um, it's a comparatively new one over the years, because people realized, wait, like, Marvel is headquartered in New York. There are tons of people here. We should really probably have a major comic book convention in new york city and it's just exploded exponentially every year and so finally now they've been saving announcements and and doing things like that for um new york as kind of the end of the year wrap-up con after regular con
1: season yeah it makes a lot of sense and i think a lot of industries are kind of shifting onto this year-round model like you see video games do it now like there's that shift away from e3 being a big news dump and it yeah like san diego is no longer just this big news dump that it used to be i mean yeah there are it's more spread out because you can do that
0: well and a lot of that is also the permeation of other entertainment news into all the conventions and so you know you have the big movie update at san diego and then you still have a big tv show update at new york and so then the comics just kind of trickle on the tail end of all the entertainment news, because San Diego isn't just the place for comic book news. There are so many mm. conventions all over the country now that it's just a little bit here, a little bit there.
1: For sure. So what actually happened at New York Comic Con? Like, What,
0: what do you think is worthwhile? Well, the biggest piece of news at the con uh, was actually released the day before as kind of a preview of things to come at the convention. Which is when mm-hmm. DC announced that they were going to be creating a new Wildstorm imprint. Um, DC obviously just, obviously just went through their really big rebirth, where um, they re—it's a, a pseudo reboot relaunch thing that DC does all the time.
1: It's like the—it's this like first one in five years, Yes. Yeah. guess.
0: That's surprisingly long time for them, I guess. But then after that, of course, they also announced uh, Young Animals, which we'll be talking about, I'm sure, a whole lot later. Uh, as a sort of pseudo-Vertigo replacement, that they're bringing back the third pillar of kind of 90s and 2000s DC, and that they're bringing out a new Wildstorm. Uh, and much like um, Way is going to be curating young animals, Warren Ellis, one of the most famous writers, probably the most famous writer from the Wildstorm era, is going to be taking over and curating this new Wildstorm. Um, and we know that he's going to be writing... Uh, the kind of the flagship book for that, and much the way Doom Patrol is the flagship book for young animals, and so that's the was probably the biggest piece of news, that this whole new imprint is going to be coming, and Warren Ellis, as famous he is with superheroes, is going to be putting his fingers over all these characters, like Midnighter, and Apollo, and Grifter, and people that he helped make more famous. So,
1: like, with those two creators, like, you've got Gerard Way on Young Animals, and mm-hmm. Ellis on Wildstorm, it kind of strikes me that DC's trying to Capture two different audiences with it. Like, uh, Gerard Way is maybe trying to bring in new comic book fans, and Wildstorm under Ellis is maybe trying to pull, pull in lapsed fans, like that, remember
0: the older Wildstorm run. Well, I think that I think there's definitely some truth in that. I think that a big part, uh, the young animals needed more work than Wildstorm did, because Wildstorm as a brand, I think, still had a place. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. fan, the people who are going to like Wildstorm were or or going to have liked what Wildstorm was doing before and like Warren Ellis' superhero comics, whereas Vertigo, for whatever reason, um, you know, Karen Berger had left DC under all, and all that stuff, and a lot of the talent had bled away from Vertigo into Image, and so they needed a new model for creating a Vertigo-style book, and so giving a creator, as weird as Way, the opportunity to make it his own personal sandbox and bringing his mm-hmm. friends to do stuff like Shade. He's kind of, it's a new model in a lot of ways where he's serving as an editorialized figure over the entire imprint. And so it's just kind of taking someone as prominent as Warren Ellis in, in superhero comics and kind of doing the same thing uh, with Wildstorm. So there is some truth in that. But I, but I definitely think that it's taking a model for something that needed revelation to develop
1: and also vertigo is still kind of continuing like there are still books coming out under the vertigo label
0: that that is true i'm going to be really surprised if there are a whole lot of new titles announced under that i think that you'll still see american vampire and some of the books in that imprint kind of do their thing uh because definitely no book is going to come out in young animals without way's fingertips on it right it's his baby uh But if you think about it in a lot of ways, that was kind of what Vertigo was, if I'm reflecting on it. I mean, it was kind of Karen Berger and everyone she brought. She took Sandman, she took Hellblazer, all those books kind of under her wing and made them her own imprint. So I can see some similarities there.
1: And I guess it is kind of a similar thing with Young Animal where they're taking things that have been established in mainline DC uh, like Hellblazer was and sort of taking it to a different audience like Doom Patrol is an established deep DC property.
0: And yeah, and the same thing with, you know, Shade the Changing Girl. Um, sure. I think the that, and so that is a, a big difference, but I mean honestly, the reality of the situation is that if you look at the top 300 comics every week, Vertigo is not really a factor. All this kind of no. if you look at all the books that Image is putting the modern Image is putting out now, if you look at Saga, if you look at Wicked and Divine, if you look at Southern Bastards, I mean, these are books that would have been vertigo books, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And for whatever reasons, uh, images become the place for those sorts of books, or even places like Boom, uh, places like Dynamite, there are always new avenues to tell those kinds of stories. And, and vertigo, for whatever reason, has not become competitive for getting those, car- those kinds of stories and those creators. And so, reengaging with DC's own IP that fits this model is a good way to rekindle and rebuild that imprint. So we'll see yeah. what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm excited. Like I've kind of gone off Warren Ellis books a bit after being a huge fan when I was younger, but I'm interested to see what a Warren Ellis curated label
0: looks like. No, it will, it'll definitely be interesting to see. I'm definitely interesting to see what this Wildstorm looks like because there's always been because obviously when Wildstorm started it was all about Wildcats and Jim Lee in case our listeners don't know Wildstorm was of course Jim Lee's spin-off spin-off uh, when he left Marvel and they kind of created the image had several different umbrellas underneath it you know you had like Mark Silvestri over at Top Cow and so then you had Jim Lee at Wildstorm and all those various um, books Mm -hmm. so it was started there and then there was kind of the second wave when people like warren ellis came in back then wildcats was in charge but then like the authority became a whole lot more prominent once warren ellis and brian hitch worked on it and so it went through all these different phases of main characters. like now i would say that apollo and Midnighter are a bigger deal to wildstorm than people like grifter and the original wildcats were way back in the day so it's going to be interesting to see what Becomes the focus of this new Wildstorm universe. How much of a reboot is it? There's still a lot of details still to come, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what it ends up being like. Because Warren else is still writing a lot of superhero comics. I mean, he just finished up Moon Knight for Marvel's reboot. He, you know, he was work, he's working on Karnak right now, but that's had a lot of delays, and so he's still superheroes are very much a part of, of the fiction that he tells. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know what kind of stories he wants to tell because the authority was very much in kind of an anti-american book from that time period it was a it was a lot of criticism of western authoritarian concepts and so it'll be interesting For to sure. see what new wildstorm
1: looks like yeah all right so what else came out of new york comic Con? That you think's
0: worthy of note well i think the funniest story is definitely the new uh, miss america book that marvel's gonna be putting out uh just because they announced they announced the book was coming they announced that jane mckelvie uh who was really in charge of revitalizing that character uh as a part of young avengers he's gonna be doing covers and that's really all we know we know that miss america chavez is gonna be getting her own book um and it's coming which out is next year. Which just called America. Yes, it is, which is a great title for it, I think.
1: It's basically just a blocking move against uh, right. Casey's other knockoff Miss America book right. that's coming out next year.
0: That's the funny part. Um, because the big reason that they're making this book is because of there was the announcement of the new book called, I think it's called all america comics that sounds right off the top of my head yeah it's called all yeah all america, america comics. comics yeah so starring america vasquez instead of american chavez because it is true that the character that appeared in young avengers is very different than uh the character who appeared in joe casey's vengeance the new updated version of america chavez is a much better character and so it's going to be interesting to see because joe casey was the writer on the book where america chavez debuted so it is a bit wonky to see Image kind of throwing down the gauntlet with him and saying, we're going to make our own book about pretty much the same character. And so there's definitely a case of some IP battle going on here where Marvel wants yeah. to make sure they're protecting that IP.
1: It's really reminiscent of like the whole Deadpool thing like back in the 90s.
0: I would agree with that. Because um, it's definitely a case. But I think we all win because America Chavez is great in Young Avengers she's great in Ultimates and i think she deserves a spotlight and you know as um a lesbian latina young woman she's a great voice that we could use and i'm i'm hoping that they will at least have a uh, female creators on the book um if they can get any kind of queer female creator that would be even better but we'll see what uh ends up happening yeah
1: i guess if it forces marvel to do something interesting with that character then yeah yeah like you say everybody wants so something else that happened at New York Comic Con was the ArtCred panel.
0: Yeah, that was... I think it was one of the first panels on Friday. And it was a panel that started Some artists on Twitter, most... The key figure in all this is Declan Chalvey, who is an Irish uh, creator who has been working a lot with Warren Ellis, who we were talking about earlier. Uh, he worked on his Moon Knight, mm-hmm. and he's doing covers for All-Star Batman. He has some cool... Uh, the cool books that he's been working on. He started creating a hashtag called ArtCred for whenever any sort of comic news site or entertainment news site was crediting stories and not really mentioning the artist at all. In particular, when they were talking about a property. So, for instance, if they were talking a story about about Wildstorm or the authority, they would say Warren Ellis's authority, even though Brian Hitch was a very instrumental character in creating the authority. And so it's just a hashtag to kind of raise awareness about what, about giving artists the appropriate credit for those stories. And it was a panel to open discussions about how to stop that behavior and just to generally increase awareness of artists' role in comics.
1: That's uh, something that I've been guilty of as well, I think. Like when I was looking through the comics I own after hearing about this and just seeing, like I had everything by author and just i had a bunch of brian wood books i have a bunch of uh brian k vaughan books but i've only got one fiona staples book uh although i guess fiona staples is kind of a bad example in that since she's only really done saga as an ongoing but like i have lots of things by the same author but i don't have that many things by shared artists like it's not something that i register as much as I should.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things, the one thing I want to say first, of course, is that it's really, I'm going to make some arguments about how this happened, but I do want to say that I think the movement's really important. And, you know, yeah, here absolutely. at in Sequence, you know, we're going to list the artists first sometimes just to mix it up, because that's something that people have been doing. You know, if you mm-hmm. look at Saga, they alternate whether they're going to list Brian's name first or Fiona's name first just to like, keep that awareness going, because they're both really integral to the story. But one of the, I think it is important to recognize how we kind of got here. Um, and so much of that is in backlash to what happened in the 90s, as so much of comics are. What happened in the 90s, of course, was the speculative crash of the comic book industry. You know, it led to Marvel going into bankruptcy. It led to really big shifts in image and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of blame was placed on the artist-driven books um, for causing this to happen because books like X-Men No. 1 propelled Jim Lee to superstardom. And he went and founded, you know, Wildstorm with Wildcats like we talked about earlier. And those books were seen as... were rejected because of the crash. And so people were looking for... part of the rebound was from these kind of high-brow, high-quality intellectual comics by people like Grant Morrison, Warren Ellis, Brian K Vaughn. These guys were seen as instrumental in bringing comics back. So people tended to follow from writer to writer and the books became the writers are who you became fans of because how dare you follow an artist because that led to the collapse. Sure. So it is a so we want to give artists the appropriate credit, but obviously we don't we don't want to go so far that we don't give writers credit too. It's a, the point is but to. But it has get, kind of swung too far the other way. Absolutely. And I understand it's a very natural thing to think of if you don't come from a comics background. Because when you read... like I think a great example is Fables. Uh, so Fables was of course a 2000s uh, Vertigo book that was originally created by Bill Willingham, the writer. But Mark Buckingham drew I don't remember the exact number of issues, but a disordinate number of issues of Fables. And so when you read Fables, Bill Willingham worked on every single issue. Um, But Mark Buckingham, Fables is his world. He created, all the characters are his creations and his designs as he created that vision. And, you know, Tom King at the R panel at New York City Comic Con, you did say he's the writer, but he's only really responsible for 20% of what people see. So even though Bill Willingham was on every single issue of Fables, he hmm. only contributed, you know, per Tom King's number, 20% to every issue. So Mark Buckingham is just as important a part of Fables. You know, when I look at somebody else drawing Bigby, it's kind of weird because Mark Buckingham is as much Bigby's characterization of him as anything else. Absolutely, yeah. And so, But you can see how a person who's coming to comics without a lot of experience with it will just see Bill Willingham always there and becomes Bill Willingham's book, even though you know, it's both of them.
1: I think also it's possibly partly to do with the fact that a lot of big books that have had mainstream success have had consistent writers. Like you look at uh, The Walking Dead, which has always been Robert Kirkman's book, Absolutely, uh, which he created with Tony Moore, mm-hmm. but then Tony Moore's only on the first six issues, and then it's Charlie Adler for the rest. Absolutely. Um, so it, I guess, that kind of causes
0: a break at some point. No, it it absolutely does. But one of the things to re- to remember that is a part of the reason I think The Walking Dead was successful was because Charlie Adler was on it for so long. Yes, absolutely. Long. And so we're starting to see a shift in the mentality where we're recognizing that continuity in art is really important. And if you look at the big crossovers, for example, I mean, one of the big stories of this summer was that Civil War II has been horribly delayed over and over again because Marvel learned their lesson that when they go resell these things as a book later, which is becoming a bigger and bigger piece of sales, it's better to have the same art the same way. And Secret War right before it was also the same way. Because I think, I think it's very true that, in my mind, if you have an amazing writer who writes an amazing story and you have a really terrible artist draw it, that is a bad comic book that I can't enjoy. Absolutely. But if you take, we're not going to say a bad story, but if you have an okay story and you have an amazing writer work on it, or an amazing artist draw it, then it becomes a really fun, good comic. It's like the art he's more important to me than the writing i mean my i'm not gonna name names and trash some artists but my favorite writer wrote one of my favorite mainstream properties but my least favorite artist drew it and so i can't really enjoy my favorite writer on one of my favorite properties because that
1: sucks when that happens
0: it is uh it's a weird thing and so it no, i can
1: totally understand it though um like i'm reading gwenpool at the moment mm-hmm. which i'm really really enjoying and it's not a slight to chris hastings at all like he is a really good writer and he's writing a really fun book but without uh guru Hiru on art i don't think that book would be anywhere near as fun or dynamic as it is like that art just really elevates what is otherwise a kind of, it's like a fun book Absolutely. Into something that I have to read every month.
0: The other piece that we haven't talked about either, though, of course, is that the relationship between writer and artist on a book can fluctuate greatly. I mean, if you go look at the you know, 1960s and the Marvel method that was coming out, you know, Jack Kirby would just draw 20-something pages, and Stan Lee would just write some words on top of it based on a summary they had typed up together. Right? And then yeah. if you look at modern comics, you'll know, you take someone like Ed Brubaker... Now, Ed Brubaker loves his artists, right? You can just see that by the simple fact that pretty much everything he does is drawn by Steve Epting, Sean Phillips, or Michael Lark. So, like, Ed, Ed Brubaker loves and appreciates his artists, but if you listen to Ed talk, he is very detailed and specific in his scripts because he's been working in comics long enough now that he has a very particular vision for what he wants. And yeah. so he, he gives a very detailed script to those creators for any of something like The Fade Out or any of his recent work, um... Killer Be Killed, number three, I think, came out the week of this podcast. Uh, but if you look on the other side, there's also stories like Mark Wade and Chris Samney are working on Black Widow for Marvel right now. And that is very old-school Marvel method book. So Chris needs most of the credit for Black Widow. I mean, he and Mark Wade co-plot it, and Mark adds the dialogue later, but the pages and the pacing of the individual stories, Chris does m- most of the work on that book. And Mark will give him that credit, because Mark is a nice guy. And that's just kind of the way that book is done, which is very different from Ed's books, where he collaborates closely with Michael and Steve and whoever he's working on the book, or Sean, whoever he's working on the book with. But his scripts are very tight and very detailed. And so the relationship between the writer and the artist will fluctuate, depending on the creators and their familiarity with each other and things like that. And so it's very it's very naive sometimes to just say this person wrote it and this person drew it and this person colored it because we haven't even talked about colors, but they're obviously a part of it too. And in letters as well. I don't want to discredit anyone. I mean, when I always try no, and make sure, sure you know.
1: They so, even get less of the credit like than even artists do or like pencilers do. Absolutely.
0: And particularly, uh, I mean, letters get no credit at all, but colorists were finally seeing um, a renaissance of their credit because people... Um, like matt hollingsworth like justin Ponsor, or like Jordy bellaire are getting recognition for the books that they do and people i mean if i see that one of them is coloring a book i am actually that much more likely to go read it and it's, yes. it's exciting to be in a place like that now
1: yeah where you can recognize names and become fans of more than just a writer and start to follow other things within comics it's cool Absolutely, and art cred seems like a really cool, important thing, and it's also popping up in, well, not popping up, but there are also going to be other panels. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the I know there's going to be one at Thought Bubble this year, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, just because we want to just make sure everyone's always talking about it, and when everyone's seeing any panels or news articles, particularly news articles that aren't comic book news sites, because the comic book news are catching up to it, but regular entertainment websites, we just make sure everyone knows that these people are just as important to telling these stories.
1: Absolutely. All right. Um, I think we should probably move on to our next segment. Okay, so each episode, Corey and I are going to set each other a book to read. Uh, I think it's mostly going to be a single issue. Yep. Uh, But within reason, it might be a little bit more. Um, And this week, uh, I've picked... Uh, I want to find the full title. I think it's off the top of my head uh, The Journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Shattered Empire, Issue 1.
0: Good job. I have the cover up, and that is exactly what it is. Nice. I want to emphasize this was Peter's choice for me to read.
1: Yep. I mean, and obviously I had to read it as well. Sure. Like, it's not as if it was just I <laughs> it and ran away the oh, laughing into the night. Of course.
0: Uh, and my choice was, of course, because Doom Patrol number two came out this week, I said, Peter, you got to read at least the first issue of uh, the new Doom Patrol from Young Animals that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um,
1: so let's start with Shattered Empire. Let's. Uh, which is... Uh, I want to double-check. I know it's... Um, you know, and this is kind of harking back to our Arcred chat. And that I know it's a Greg Rucker book.
0: It is a Greg Rucker book. Can you name but the artist? The artist
1: oh. I cannot. Uh, having just Googled it, it's Marco Cicchetto. That is correct. Uh, who worked on Avengers World and Punisher. Yep. Uh, I've not read
0: any of his other stuff. Uh, I'm course.
1: normally a big Greg
0: Rucker fan. Like, I've liked Hold on. The For the rest of our credit, though, I do want to say that Andres Mosso did color it. And VC's oh, Joe Caramagna was the letter. Uh, just to get our full our cred out there. Because we just talked about that. It's very important. Yeah, for sure. Um, even if...
1: I don't think either of us liked this book very much.
0: I did. I hate to start our very first review being negative. Because I am a really positive <laughs> guy. I really love comic books. I like saying good things about good comics. But Peter says we have and to talk to about things here. that we don't like. And I I'm did not... You down to my level. Did not like this book. I like the people involved in this book. But sure. it did not. The figure work, as you said, is great. The spaceships look like they're supposed to look, but I, I don't. I don't get it, frankly. I don't get why this book exists. I don't get the, the 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 biggest problem I have with this book is I do not understand why it starts here.
1: Yeah, uh, because it starts. And we're going to go fairly in-depth into these books, so if you have not read them, uh, either Doom Patrol issue 1 or Shattered Empire issue 1 and you think you would like to, uh, you should pause the podcast here and come back once you have. But yeah, Shattered Empire 1 starts like pretty much equally with the end of Return of the Jedi, just a little bit before. Uh, and this was, I think, one of the first new canon books to come out uh, once Disney took over the entire licensing of star yes, wars
0: that is correct so of course there was the new i believe both the star wars book and the darth vader book predated but it was one of the first i think of the second wave of star wars books there may have been one or two right. miniseries in there that i missed um, but it's definitely one of the first books they put out other than the two big mainland titles
1: yeah yeah I, like this one just it feels so wonkily put together As a single issue. Um, Like, because it starts with flashes of Luke's battle against the Emperor, and also, like, the repeat of the trench run into the Death Star, but you're following this one pilot. Um, But, like, none of that is that important. It kind of blitzes past it as quickly as it can, so it can get to the celebration on Endor, and then you find out. I guess this one mandated piece of information that Disney have let them use, which is that these two characters that appear in this comic are Poe Dameron's parents. Yeah. And it does that more importantly than setting up any kind of conflict, which is going on kind of in the background of these like Imperials that are left over.
0: Absolutely. I I frankly think that one of two things needed to happen. Either clearly this comic book needed to start with issue number two. Okay. Mm-hmm. or these were not the characters that we needed to start with. I, I have seen the destruction of the second Death Star, and no one's going to have read this book without having seen Return of the Jedi. right? Like that, let's think about the audience for this book for a second. I
1: it, think that's a really interesting thing to look at for licensed books, though. Like, because at what point do you make... like? Does it have to be a companion book? Does it have to be an like, offshoot? Like all of these things that are trying to be cross media properties. Well, I I feel every single one of them has like a mainline thing that has the important stuff, and the other thing is just accessories. But I think that this
0: book is meant to be a little different than some of the other ones, right? The Star Wars book, The Main Star Wars by Jason Aaron and John Cassidy and Stuart Eminence and various artists, is meant to be is the main is meant to exist in this kind of nebulous area of star wars continuity it's that period between a new hope and empire strikes back where they can make as long as they need it to be whereas the title of this book is very specifically journey to star wars force awakens so this is meant to bridge a gap between two movies and so its place in continuity is meant to be more important to me so i think that you, I, to read this book, I have to be genuinely interested in what happened after Return of the Jedi, before The Force Awakens. And so reca- spending the first nearly ten pages, not, you, you, technically if you want to include the celebration even longer than that, recapping yep. the end of a movie that I have seen a dozen times isn't very, is not a great way to engage me in your narrative no matter how cool it is to see a really great drawing of an x-wing in the millennium falcon it just, it doesn't it, you're not going to pull me in and demand my interest because i'm sitting here just flipping through those pages as fast as possible to get to something new
1: yes and i guess like it's kind of like oh here are those characters that you like like here's a little s- scene with luke here is a scene with han solo and lando Here's a bit here's like this splash of the actual main characters in this comic, but actually in the forefront there's three PO. Because honestly um,
0: So strange. Like you could there's so many places it could have started instead. It could have started with fireworks going off. I mean there's a there's a panel at the top of page fourteen, which is Ewoks looking up at fireworks. That could have been an opening, right? We know the Death Star is dead. Right? Yeah. You you know, you can you could in Star Wars here's the funny thing. Star Wars you have an opening crawl. There's an opening crawl to this comic book. You could have just summarized Return of the Jedi for me and said, and now we find our heroes on the planet Endor celebrating after the destruction of the second Death Star. And just, I would have been ready to go. You know? Yeah,
1: because it's fairly safe to say that if I don't know how Return of the Jedi ends, I don't care who Poe Dameron's parents are.
0: Well, I also think that you would be really confused because the the information that they give you about what happened... Is very minimal. So it both assumes that you know and and then spends nearly 10 minutes having it happen in the background without really adding that much characterization to these characters. I mean, I learn what the Podamron's mother looks like, but that is about it. Yeah. Like,
1: I think it's partly because I looked at the release schedule for this book and it's a weekly book or it was a weekly book. There were only four issues of it. And I wonder if that's maybe why they felt they could be a little lackadaisical with the pacing on this is because you're not sitting on it for a month. It is like literally you can go and pick up the next issue within a week.
0: But if you look at some of the weekly experimental books, like 52 and Amazing Spider-Man, they didn't do that. And the reason they were so successful was that you were literally getting a full comic book every week, and so it all felt yeah. really important. I don't know. Yeah, it it's a strange... Because if they were going to do that... Like, oh, go ahead.
1: The last thing I want to say about this is that it's probably the worst written hand Solo I've ever seen. Like, just, he gives a speech at the end where he's, like, rallying some troops to go attack this imper- remaining Imperial base, and it's just so out of character for that character i it just seems so jarring
0: i think that's fair um
1: like it like it just seemed like that was a point where uh like greg rucker was trying to write something that was beginning to show a narrative for these new characters he was creating or at least writing for and then someone from like the story team tapped him on the shoulder and said well Actually, can you include one of the like known characters in this sequence, rather than it being a natural thing for the story?
0: Because well, one of the because I always remember like Kurt Vonnegut always said you want to start your story as close to the ending as absolutely possible. And I'm just I'm flipping through the book and I'm just finding so many places where it could have started. I
1: mean, they certainly do that. They start their story as close to the ending of Return of the Jedi <laughs> as possible.
0: Well, like really, I mean, for instance, if you're flipping through it. There is a page. Where they have they have been victorious, right, and so you have Poe Dameron's parents waking up from a explicit encounter, and so they love each other obviously, so it 's not scandalous, but they have been through war and now they 're celebrating together, which is clearly when Podameron's going to have been conceived, but that 's another issue entirely, because uh, one of them def- the dad's definitely dying uh, i haven 't even finished this book yet, and I can tell you right now the dad's dying um, <laughs> And they could have just had... probably won't finish this book <laughs> But, you know, so very clearly, you could have started right here. Right? I, it tells me all the information I need to know about them. She, is, she gets called Green 4. I know she's a pilot, right? And he's clearly a soldier in the Alliance based on his garb. You know, I know about Star Wars. I know what their troops on Endor War. And so if you said... If you just had a panel of the second Death Star exploding and then a little p- panel of the Ewoks celebrating, and you said, the next morning, and you have the line where's my strike team in big bold lettering like they have it on here you could start the story right here and i would have lost nothing
1: except some pretty pictures of some x-wings and the millennium falcon
0: that's true but like
1: i guess that's who that book this book is aimed at like it's people who literally just want to look at the millennium falcon
0: and some i will say i did some reading and the response to this book was very positive
1: well there you go i guess with a dissenting voice I
0: think we've been negative enough though, and we should move on to a book we both really liked. So yeah, so now so that book is, of course, if you jumped in right now for some reason, uh, the launch title for Young Animals that came out about a month ago. Uh, The second issue came out this week, but that is, of course, Doom Patrol number one. So let's get which is
1: written by Gerard Way.
0: Yep, and uh, with pencils by Nick Darrington. I think he did the cover as well. And then uh, Tamra Bonvillon is the colorist, and the legendary Todd Klein is the letter.
1: Actually, yeah, that's something I really want to highlight, uh, but I guess we'll get to that in a bit. I but also I wanted to highlight that, so the, I'm glad
0: we're on the same page.
1: Yeah, the letter work in this issue is very, very good.
0: If you don't know, I will say Todd. Do we can just start there if you want. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was. Yeah. Go for it so the, the the one thing i really loved i was really excited when i read that todd klein was lettering this book because todd klein in particular is most famous for being a letterer on sandman and oh, okay so I, that
1: I did not know that
0: that tied this together to the old vertigo in a way that felt really good to me like it, it made it created a continuity between young animals and a vertigo that i thought was just by his incredible lettering i was it just made me really happy in a in a way that's hard to really describe because vertigo yeah. meant a lot to me i mean i've read a lot of vertigo's output so it was nice to see its spiritual successor in a really genuine actual way at least have some spiritual tie back to that old vertigo stuff
1: yes but yeah i love the letterwork in this issue like um the main character of it is uh casey brink who is an emt mm-hmm. uh i mean i have never i have no knowledge of doom patrol other than at some point grant morrison worked on it and i think they were in uh darwin cook's the new frontier for like a little bit but i can't really remember that if true um but yeah uh, so casey brink this emt who weird things seems to happen to and her internal monologue is just lettered so perfectly. I feel like you can get so much from that character just by, like, the cursive, like, fun script that she has for her
0: just monologue. Absolutely. Um, One of the aspects I really liked, that I thought really reflected the tone of the book, was the uh, word balloons themselves, particularly the tails. If you look at those, there are very... Most... Uh, word balloon tales are really direct and angular, and they don't—they get from one point to the other as quickly as possible. But if you every almost every single word balloon in this book has a weird little curve to it. Yeah, they're really meandering. And so it it kind of it it right away tells you the kind of the tone of the book that you're getting ready to read, uh, because Doom Patrol is weird, very very weird. And so it's just nice to kind of have gotten that warning be the lettering that i don't know if you know what you're getting into you should because yes. the cover of the very first book is a, a euro. uh but we'll get to that uh but it's just nice to see the lettering be really upfront front and say hey this book's weird
1: yes yeah it, it totally is um and i was trying to work out because normally i i like i i would Feel like there was part of me that should be repulsed by all of the weird stuff that was happening in it uh like because normally when something like that oh it's just nonsensical but i think what kind of tied it together for me is that like even the normal people in the book uh like casey's emt like coworker, like they just kind of go with it like everything in this world like they just kind of acknowledge that yeah sometimes weird stuff happens and they just move along and that's yeah it kind of helped me engage with everything that was going on like the characters are all really game for everything that's happening
0: i i would definitely agree with that um the the weirdest thing about this book is how many people explode there's like a weird yeah not to say people, but like there's a weird amount of stuff that just randomly blows up in this book, and everyone—that's the thing that people were most cool with. That was the weirdest to me.
1: Yes, uh, like uh, the guy's gyro that just blows up. Yeah, and then which is just this really amazing use of like the clashing art styles, uh, because there's a moment where the book uh, pushes in to inside this guy's gyro, or kebab, if. <laughs> i don't know what a euro is which i didn't until fairly recently um and there's this whole other world with this war going on uh which eventually has uh, a character push through this battle and blow up the world which causes the euro to explode uh and like everything inside that euro world is like got this gorgeous kind of like really sketchy well, yeah and, they like, take most hand
0: they took the blacks out Right. If you compare, there's there's actually a decent amount of the black inks um, on the regular pages, and they mm-hmm. basically just didn't ink the two or three pages of. And it's clearly a robot world. The, the sure. alternate world. Um, and so yeah, they. But know, I think calling it Yero World is more. Yes, yeah, sure. Just... It's Robot Euro World. Absolutely. Um, and that character is Robot Man. Um, Robot Man is the other than beast boy who doesn't really count as being in doom patrol robot man is the most famous of the members of doom patrol okay because i've not heard of him at all okay well robot man is the doom patrol in a lot of ways um right and he's pretty easy to figure out because he's a robot man
1: yeah no uh yeah you i can totally understand uh like where they're going with that name it's I'm, I'm the pretty offices. sure
0: he's the only character to appear in every issue of Doom Patrol he, I believe I know okay. he has more appearances than anyone else I'm pretty sure he's appeared in every single issue sure um, at least he's been in every single run of Doom Patrol which is not the case for everyone
1: okay no, that, that makes sense and uh, so I think um, that it's very deliberate
0: that he is the first member of the Doom Patrol that we meet in this issue
1: yeah um but yeah what I was gonna say is uh I love uh, that, like, on that sequence where they have taken the blacks out, and, like, the art looks, like, so different, and then it just, with the explosion, like, immediately kind of as close to a smash cut as you can get in comics, back to this super bold, heavily inked explosion, like, back in the quote unquote real world.
0: And just that clash works so well. Ab- I and mean, absolutely. I mean, and one of the things to go back to the lettering really fast that I do want to say is I love how there is. They do they do show me the transitions via lettering that way. Um, for instance, here there is. If you look at the smash on the bottom right of that page, so basically the 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 Euro ends up exploding because Robot Man destroys the Euro to escape Euro World to come back into our world. Okay, and if you look at the smash when he hits the button to destroy the Euro world and you compare that to the smash of when he's breaking the wall down on that same page you will notice that the coloring and the outline of that lettering is much more reminiscent of the lettering you see in the other explosions like the boom because that the sound effect is actually transitioning between the two worlds and it's like our modern world kind of on top of that and they do a lot of yeah. really great transitions via lettering like that um, you know for instance there's the we do a transition from we'll get to the what's going on with Niles Calder in a minute but there's also oh, I'm the so
1: excited there's the backwards oh,
0: ambulance got... right it's such a great we read that but we have to process that as a piece of visual information so it's a really it's a great establishing shot while mm. also being a caption of telling us where we are I kind of love that they use the text as a physical landmark so that it could double as both of those things there's a lot of really great transition work that they did in this book
1: yes Um, so can we talk about what's going on with Niles Calder so do you know who Niles Calder is because I do not a clue okay but this is my favorite single page in a book in so long I love it just so his, his beaming smile at the end of this page after he's done fiddling around with his keyboard is just... Well, the one fans.
0: really interesting thing, though, is that he makes the same fly symbol as the fly symbol that the one robot guy says. So I'm very yeah. interested to see what his keyboard has to do with what was going on with Robot Man being in the Euro.
1: Yeah, I think all of the, sort of, like, there are weird interludes throughout this book. And, and all of the weird interludes have at least one link back in to what's happening. Yes. Uh, like, there's a repeating motif of a fly, uh, a brick. Yes. And uh, they the do... Danny appears repeatedly.
0: And those are Doom Patrol characters. Um, I, I know, of okay. course, who most of those are. Um, right. Okay. But they're... And so there are less ties into who those characters are and more just kind of, I think, teases of how those characters are going to get introduced to us over the next several issues. Sure. Uh, because clearly they're making stories for each of the members of the Doom Patrol um, and bringing them in bit by bit. So, like, Danny is, of course, is, is going to be a member of the Doom Patrol. Niles Calder is a member of the Doom Patrol. And so they're kind of hinting... I'm not going to tell you who they are because I don't want to spoil it for you if you're not familiar with them. Sure but um it's kind of teases of things to come and mysteries that will need to be solved
1: yes yeah and i think that's the thing that like as someone that doesn't know the doom patrol really at all like all of the things that it presents and the images and the mysteries i found really compelling uh like there is a splash at the end uh with someone that's been hit with a brick through a window in some kind of like heaven-like palace and that just is such a striking image that I'm really interested in finding out what happens with it. Absolutely. Like I think, I, I think it's a strong enough first issue that I'm willing to take a lot of stuff on faith
0: that they'll be able to like follow through on. No, I agree, absolutely. I mean, if you can sell a moment where a um, singing telegram... Randomly walks up to the door, sings a song, and wishes you happy birthday, and causes the dude to explode, and you can make that sequence feel really fresh and fun. And I'm just, I'm just there, you know. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, I was going to ask, so is Terry the Telegram? Is that a a repeat character from Doom Patrol, or is that someone
0: new? That is not someone I immediately recognized. Um, okay. I
1: made. So is Casey new as well?
0: Yes. Now, Casey might okay. end up being someone else that could very possibly be, but it is not a name that we're familiar with. So I'm fa- I'm fairly okay. certain that she is a character that they are bringing in uh, to be a fresh okay, face. Okay, because be
1: yeah, I guess that she kind of serves a role as kind of I guess like the Doctor's companion in like Doctor Who, kind of a uh, sort of as normal as a character can be within this weird universe.
0: Potential. I mean, it it is possible that. Um, I mean, there there are some chari- there are some prominent Doom Patrol characters that are females that they did not tease that I saw. Uh, I've only read this book three times, and it's there's a lot going on, so it's easy to miss stuff. It's
1: dense. It, like I know this podcast probably sounds like we're just constantly jumping. It was also it was a really large. Issue. Con- it was also an what this book issue.
0: Does. Uh, It was an oversized issue, but so she could. There are some characters that she could be. One particularly prominent one in general but her and as far as i'm aware she might she is just as likely to be a brand new character as our new introduction into the doom patrol
1: okay oh actually like one last thing i want to say Mm -hmm. before we should probably wrap up on this um is that there is an evil meeting at one point yes there is and everything is really strange about this evil meeting and i love that it's kind of that brings it back to normalcy because it turns out that they're just discussing fast food And I love that it kind of, like, the book at its weirdest still comes back down to some kind of, like, really mundane thing. But it's going to be evil fast food. No, for sure. But, uh, like like, I love that it is something that comes back to a really mundane evil plot rather than it being some
0: huge thing. And I will say, just to talk about the lettering, which is still my favorite part of the whole book, they characterized the villains in this sequence pretty much exclusively via the lettering. And that is a huge yes, yeah, you've testament. you've got the
1: robot dudes who have these really angular, sharp balloons, and you've got the kind of... I'm going to call them drippy dudes? Yeah, they're like, they're, who, they're like melting fat their guys. Their speech bubbles like just melt on the page. Yeah, it's really gross looking.
0: And so that is a real testament to Todd because I feel like I have a better understanding of these antagonists than any other protagonist, and these antagonists only appear on three pages. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah, yeah,
1: this book is great and I'm going to read issue two as soon as we're done here and then I'm going to just hopefully just sit and wait for issue three. Yeah, I've not been this impressed with the first issue in a while.
0: So I I do want everyone to notice that I gave Peter a book to read that I knew he would really like. He picked one that he knew that I wouldn't like. I'm just going to say. Well, it's okay because next time
1: Actually, no. First, we're gonna say which book is better, and it's definitely Doom Patrol. Oh yeah, we to like offer it up. We knew going in,
0: that Doom Patrol was probably gonna be the better book this week, so that's one point for me.
1: Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. So next, <laughs> oh, so next course, week we're gonna start tallying. This is gonna go really rough for me. but yes, cool, <laughs> one point, Peter zero points.
0: I hope that in a year, it's like twenty-four points to me, zero points to you.
1: I hope not. I really hope not. I'll pick something bad on purpose. Next time, at some point. So next time, uh, we're going to be doing another two books, um, uh, and we're doing this as a a podcast every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So we'll be out uh, Friday in two weeks' time. Which is the twenty eighth. Which will be the yeah the Mm twenty eighth. So even though it's our second episode, it's also going to be our Halloween episode. So we're both going for kind of spooky books.
0: Uh, so my book is it's going to be the most recent run of Moon Knight we haven't quite decided how many I guess, we can probably just do the first issue but I'm sure Peter once he reads it is going to read more than that because it's this good but the, the most recent Moon Knight run which is by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood and Jordi Belair does the colors
1: I'm really excited and I'm going to use probably my favorite horror comic uh, which is The Enigma of Amagara Fault which is a uh, comic by junji ito
0: i look forward to reading it and i don't think i'm gonna be able to sleep for days once i read this thing no probably not all right
1: so this has been the first episode of in sequence uh, i'm peter and you can find me at Undevastator on twitter
0: and i'm Corey, and you can find me at cory b thesaurus you can also continue to follow in sequence comics we are at in sequence comic singular uh, on twitter as well if you want to follow us there and then to find our other articles that will be appearing on the weeks that we don't have podcasts, you can visit us at currently insequencecomics.wordpress.com.
1: And I think the next thing you're going to be putting up or very soon is uh, you're going to do a review of the 300th comic yes, on it the is top the, sellers
0: list. It is the debut of the second article series that we're working on, which is called Lucky Number 300. Uh, every month, Diamond Distributors, the biggest comic book distributor in the country, and they're the, really the only one. Uh, They put out a list of their top 300 each month, and on Monday the sales figures for next month are going to come out And I'm going to review the book that uh, lucked in, if you will, at number 300 uh, Which could be some terrible Marvel reprint, could be some scandalous vampire book with way more breasts than I want to read But we'll see what I get, and so I'll be writing about that, and that will be up on next Friday uh, Which is of course the 21st, and I don't know what it's going to be about yet, Uh, because I haven't seen the list. So it'll be a fun surprise for me, a fun surprise for you, and hopefully it'll be a fun series for everyone to follow along.
1: I'm excited to read it. All right, this has been In Sequence. We will see you next
0: time. If you liked this podcast and are interested in reading any of the comic books we talked about here on In Sequence, be sure to check out your local comic book shop, which you can find at www.comicshoplocator.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.